Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning, Ned. Ciao, Davide. Ciao, 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 ciao. Where are you? I'm in the town centre of Bagna di Romagna, the old town spa town where water meets sulphur meets tourists, meets a faded sense of 1960s grandeur. Trains to and from the town are subject to significant delays due to a lack of a railway track or station, but traffic is flowing freely along all approach roads. Expect congestion later this morning, though, as temporary road closures are put in place for the arrival of the breakaway of the Giro d'Italia. These will be lifted briefly, but then reimposed when the peloton gets to town about an hour and a half later. Grey skies overhead right now with temperatures set to rise to a modest 17 degrees. It's 6.32 and to ease you through the morning, here's ELO and Sweet Talking Woman. Just for you, Chris Boardman. Never Stray's Farfalle is brought to you by Chapter 3 and The Roadbook. Chapter 3 was created by David Miller in 2015 with the vision of creating cycling clothing that he would wear as a retired racer. Now they've made cycling kit to meet you wherever your ride takes you. And the good news, it's launching next month. In 2018, a team of dedicated enthusiasts delivered the inaugural edition of the Roadbook Cycling Almanac, an annual publication supplying data, essays and anecdotes from the racing calendar. The Roadbook has become the definitive companion of any serious fan of the sport. Documenting how the season bounced back from the pandemic, the latest 2020 edition has arguably never had such an important place on our bookshelves. Between us, we're giving away four full sets of Chapter 3's new kit, two men's and two women's, as well as four signed copies of the 2020 Roadbook. Plus, four sets of caps and socks with RB Exercise Book and Musette. Bookmark as a secondary prize. All you have to do is head to the episode notes and click the link. How was the uh, gravel? And more importantly, how's the form? Because I encountered a very uh, tired and I'd say a little bit unexcited Ned late last night when you were handing over mm. all pod duties to me. Um, well, le- yeah. How are Let you now? Let me start. I got, I got, I'm still in a problem. My alarm only went off about five minutes ago. Just, just had time to plug in, boil a kettle, and also just assimilate the dream that I've woken up from when my alarm went off. Because it's borderline. You know how a dream is so powerful that it can kind of set you up in the wrong way for the rest of the day until you kind of shed, oh, yeah. shed well, the skin of the dream it infiltrates your subconscious isn't it it's like it's that's that's deep what's going on when you have a dream and it's 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 there for a reason what was the dream about i was in it was a kind of late afternoon and i was standing by an oak tree uh with grass up to my knee and sort of knee height looking down a, a I mean, it was vaguely, the landscape was kind of Umbrian, Abruzzan, Tuscan, kind of rolling hillside. 
so it was a quite a serene scene actually when an orange a small kind of kid size orange football came flying through the air and sort of landed at my feet and i looked down and it was uh, it was in the undergrowth and i kind of picked it up and um i wanted and then i saw in the distance who had kicked it my way and i vaguely recognized them and i kind of felt innately in the dream like i knew them pretty well and i wanted to uh, punt it back to them but i feared for my footballing skills because i didn't want to miss you know miss kick or kind of like for it to go off sh- sh- go off my shin and kind of you know i wanted to it, it to be a good so instead i decided to carry it back to the people who who kicked it my oh, way safe, safety that's a nice one so just protecting your your dignity your dignity yeah yeah i i reached i reached the people who kicked it to me and um i recognized there were four of them and they were sitting around a uh no three of them and they were sitting around a little upturned crate where they had a plate of kind of charcuterie and prosciutto and formaggio laid out and um what what became very clear was they had a recording device on the table and um the closer i got the more i realized that the three people were lionel burney daniel freeb and richard moore from the cycling podcast david and they ushered me they ushered me to take my place on the, a spare seat and in front of a, a spare microphone oh, that wow. they had you, at their table. You got invited onto the cycling podcast? Seemingly, yeah. And Richard uh, turned to me and he said, um, Hey, Ned, how are you finding the, the Giro? And I couldn't, couldn't think of anything to say. <laughs> <laughs> Were you still holding their orange football? I was holding their orange football. And I literally couldn't think of anything to say. So oh, I kind Ned. of defaulted. I got super nervous and I defaulted. I just said, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. And do you know what? <laughs> just, it's just they a platitude. Me. Exactly. They all looked at me uh, kind of uh, with a mixture of s- 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 disappointment and almost disdain at my answer. So oh, I hastily Ned. started to qualify that I didn't think, this is literally the end of the dream. I hastily started to qualify my my... my 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 assessment of the Giro and, and I, I was in the middle of saying well maybe not five stars but four and a half oh, when the Ned. alarm went off oh Ned that's terrible that's when the um, alarm went off I'm sorry that's um, this rings without digging too deep into it in pop psychological terms like you suffering a mild case of imposter syndrome I can't I'd like to be able to disagree with you but when I think about the grammar of the dream and, and the way it's kind of played out, I think it's the only possible interpretation. And what, what, see, and the reason it's got me off to quite a bad start today is because I think it, I, th- I think there's something truth in it. <laughs> maybe we need to, maybe it's the fact we sponsor our own podcasts ourselves and, and just do it kind of randomly. I mean, maybe self-sponsorship is just, it's not not a very good business model, is it? It's not a very good business model. I mean, but yeah, maybe we need some outside um, affirmation. Well, I mean, the listeners give us that. We've got good listenerships. It's it's all right, Ned. I think you're really good at this. I think think you're doing really well. 
And okay. I think perhaps any listeners, please just, just for Ned, just go on Twitter <laughs> and send him good messages about how he is a good podcaster. And that, yeah. and that just because we sponsor this ourselves, and this is for me and Ned, we're not faking it. We, we don't think we're imposters. I think we're, I think we're the real deal, Ned. I think granted, we're still a little bit like a- on the fringe of it all, but we're, yeah. we're, we've got to start somewhere. Okay. Okay. So should we get back to it? All right. I might, I might see if there's a sports shop in, in town and try and get a little orange football to carry around with me in the back of the car. Maybe that's what, that just, would be a nice little kind of, just a little, nice little, little reminder, just a little totem. Yeah, is that means you've externalized it. You should nice. do that. Which means actually take ownership of it. Take ownership. And you know what? Then go and find, get, when you get to outside this one, go and find that ball, go and find yep. a nice wall and just stand there and kick it repeatedly against the wall. Over and over and over again. You t- you show that orange football who's boss, and you know what? Yeah. It doesn't matter if it hits target every time, because sometimes yeah. you're going to miss. So, so don't use your hands. Don't pick it up and throw it. Kick that ball, no. kick, and kick you ball. kick it over and over again until you get good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop until you can do it properly. Uh, um, anyway, did you? So I, yeah, did I you watch the, the? I, I missed the race, and I. I oh no! Uh, no, and I, I, uh, oh, no. I had. I had a call. Oh, I was so pumped up with hope I then. Know, that we could, I, I, and then I, I, I ask you about the greatest stage in the tour so far, in the Giro so far, and you just didn't watch it. Well, oh, how's this going to work? Think that I wasn't invited into the cycling podcast to talk about it. But um, oh, damn. But no, it's had right reasons. The, I had calls, Ned. I was on a call to an American university and I was then on a call, had my board call for chapter three. So no, I'd no. be all grown up. Well, do you know yeah. anything? I mean, can you yes, summarize I've read, it at I've all? Read. So a break made it to the finish line. Yeah. Who some won? Some young kids, some Schmidt. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, Schmidt's yeah, Swiss. Yeah, Mauro. Mauro Schmidt's. Mauro. It's a weird Mauro Schmidt. Italian Swiss, is he? Um, yeah. And uh, he won it very convincingly. He's, a, he's very he, young. He's, he's a new 20, human. Well, he's 21. He beat a 22-year-old in an uphill sprint oh, um, come to the line. Oh, What's happening to the sport? Yeah. He beat, he beat UAE team Emirates Italian um, prospect. I think that's what you'd call him. He was a kind of... They're both quite, no, they're, quite, they're, not, they're not similar riders, actually. Alessandro Covi is a kind of... Um, he's got quite a kick on him. He's a bit more of a puncher... Um, he looks really good on a bike. He's 22 years old. And uh, the interesting thing I, I, I researched about Alessandro Covey before the Giro got underway is that um, he, well, one, he gave up a course training to be an electrician to become a, a cyclist a couple of years ago when he signed uh, professional professional terms. But also during lockdown, he went to his a, a garage where his dad, who's currently away in Poland, uh, oh, on working a contract i think his dad's an electrician actually but um he's left behind him a garage in varanese and uh, full of his clobber and alessandro let himself into his his dad's garage and uh, found his dad's old guitar there and thought well i've got nothing else to do during lockdown during the dark months of lockdown so he picked up his dad's guitar and during the pandemic he's taught himself to play the guitar and oh, wow. he can now play he can now play eye of the tiger <laughs> Oh, that's great. I, I know this about it. But he needed a bit more of the eye of the tiger because, yeah, he got rolled on <coughs> rolled on the final sprint by Mauro Schmidt. 
from uh, Switzerland. So, yeah, yeah, Quebec so Assos. Yeah. So what I do know is that the break went very early, and then the it was actually exactly I think what you said yesterday in your sort of preview that it was a race of two halves because it seems from what I've read the break went early, yeah. got a big enough gap that it wasn't going to threat GC, but then the GC lit up completely behind uh, in the second half. Is that about right? Yeah, it is. So with 70 kilometers to go, the race rebooted. You know, you had a little Mm. phase where the brake got away and then it was all controlled. And then 70k to go, the the brake had 14 minutes. Uh, But then Ineos started to really ride and Mm. Ghana ganned it. It was the first of four gravel sections, about about 10 kilometers, about nine kilometers in length. Ganagon on the front and literally ganned it. Um, and that was the first moment where I'm afraid to say the pocket rocket from Belgium in the white jersey was straight away in trouble, David. It was it was worrying from the word go for Remco. Um, mm, that is disappointing. It's, it was horrible. It, you know, for, for those who have, you know, have Remco's best interests at heart, it was a pretty, was a pretty tough watch yesterday. Mm. And but it does take some thinking about because um, Rendolero, before the race got underway yesterday, sent me a very interesting little link, uh, David, to a race result. Do you remember 2019 um, when we were on the road of the Tour de France and Gilbert, Phil Gill, had had to abandon the race, hadn't he? Mm. I can't remember for why. I think it was, was it the year? I can't was, remember why. Was but he wasn't. Oh, no, he wasn't selected that year. Oh, it was 2018, right. he, Yeah. Yeah, 2018, 2019, he just wasn't, he wasn't selected by the yeah. Quick Quickstep. Do you remember? He oh, went off that. to race, he went off to race, um, what's it called? The Adriatic Ionica race instead, oh, a little stage yeah. race. In, kind of pretty unimportant, really. Yeah. Um, and the uh, Quick Quickstep finished one, two, three on a stage. Hmm. And with Hodge and Gilbert and someone else. And uh, he sent us a picture, didn't he, of all three of them. He kind of sent it to, via mm. WhatsApp to us. On that stage, a 19-year-old Remco Evenepoel uh, finished one minute, 28 seconds down on a pan-flat stage that had four or five gravel sectors in it. Oh, and interesting. in the grand scheme of things, what did that matter as a result? But it matters now with a bit of hindsight because... Um, I think that's Remco's only previous experience of racing on gravel. Now, because it's a relatively unimportant race, I don't know why he ended up one minute and 28 seconds down, but it might have something to do with it. And it was immediately obvious, David, that the gravel spooked him. Because he doesn't doesn't have any... um, We spoke about this. He doesn't, contrary to this new generation, he doesn't have multi-cycling background. He was a footballer, wasn't he? He's gone straight into road cycling. So... Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that's, and that would be a big difference because it's, it's, I mean, we'll get onto it a bit, but Egan Bernal was a mountain biker before. And I wouldn't put it past any of us having gone back and looked at results and figured that out, or somebody had been there and noticed it from the Ineos team and said, oh, I remember him like two years ago on a gravel thing. He was horrible. And I know they're not racing, they won't be racing purely against Remco. But it's it's interesting that they were so confident in Eos to go yesterday, because that's a that's a marked difference in performance from Remco. And as you said, that it's almost anomalous. But for a rider of his kind of stature already, uh, so yeah, that does make sense, and it's really interesting. I, I didn't didn't realise that. 
I mean, he was hugely disadvantaged compared to almost all the other GC riders straight away. The gaps opened up, the wheels opened up. The first time he got kind of, I mean, Ghana was just immense was he? again. And, and Bernal just on his wheel. One feature of how Egan Bernal rode yesterday was his positioning from start to finish of the race was 100% immaculate. Um, he was just, whichever one of his teammates was on the front, he was just on the wheel. Perfect. He was just there all the time. Not once did he slip further down than around about second or third in line. He was just there on it until the last moment where he had to sort of ride for himself and had to respond to some of the attacks as it thinned down to all the leaders only. And then, of course, he just destroyed them all, mm-hmm. just pumped them all because he's in, he's in absolutely scintillating form at the moment, Bernal. But Sosa's team, I mean, they're firing on all cylinders and they ripped it to shreds. The first time Remco was off the back, he had um, five teammates and the gap was uh, kind of 10 or 15 seconds on the gravel that they had to kind of r- restore. He had to get across to. And, you know, one by one, the Peter Seris, the James Knoxes, they did a little turn and boom, exploded. So by the time he kind of re- rescued that situation, in fact, the last little bit he had to do on his own. And that took I, a minute. Yeah. And you know, you know what? You know what as well? If you're already not comfortable on gravel and um, off-road like that, it's, when you find yourself behind the front of the race and in this kind of scattergun, it just gets worse because the gravel is getting more messed up from all the bikes and vehicles going over it. There's clouds of dust. There's riders who will be having incidents in front of you. So it becomes a, a kind of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy because it's just going to get harder and harder behind, which will be one of the reasons that Egan Bernal was just so ever-present at the front because they're more so than ever. But that that takes a combo of being on scintillating form as we can now a vouch that Bernal is, but also having the skill set to just always be uh, sliding around at the front, just uh, making it look as simple as evidently from what you describe he was doing. So that's a daunting prospect for everyone now. But what is interesting is that you know that Remco, and this isn't just my bias, um, it does open up the option where there's there's even less weight in his shoulders now and he can unleash his crazy attacking mindset. So, and especially if it was an anomalous result due to the fact he is so terribly uncomfortable on gravel. That's my yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah I, 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 I agree. I mean, I agree. It did, it did seem like there was nothing physically wrong with him yesterday. It was simply, and very understandable. I mean, let's face it, eight months ago, he, you've referenced it, the, you know, the accident, the fall at Lombardia could have cost him his life. Mm. It was you know, he's bound to be really apprehensive. Um, and actually it'll be, you know, when we get up into the high mountains and they're really caning it down the descents, be interesting to see how he goes when he's under pressure there, because you could completely understand some hesitancy and just a little ghost of, of, of um, doubt. Uh, speaking, in his mind. Spe- speaking, speaking of ghosts, one thing that did appear for me in the, yeah. um, <clears throat> reading the race report afterwards was our favorite ghost was, was doing, he'd taken off his cloak. Yeah, wasn't he? Emmanuel Buchmann. Yeah, Buchmann kind of launched a ghost attack just when at that at that point I was saying where almost all the leaders were isolated. Um, you know, all the domestics had done what they could, and and we were a few kilometres from the finish line. Uh, that it stalled a little bit as they started to look at each other, and the old ghost boy just ghosted up on the right, and it wasn't like <laughs> boom, he went, he just went, he just rode slightly faster off the front, and before you knew it, he was kind of almost out of sight. Holy first time I've cow. seen him, I mean, I think it's kind of the first time I've seen him actually 
attack and, and for it to yield a result. So he had a, he had a great day actually. Bernal eventually rode across to him as they came into the ta- the finishing the finish um, town Montalcino, and um, but Bernal and and Buchmann just reached a, an accord and said, well, well, we can both gain from this. So they kind of threw and off, threw and off, threw and off, hit the final slope, two hundred meters, ten percent to the line, and Buchmann just went, yeah, you'd better you better go on ahead now because <laughs> you got it, Egan, you got this. <laughs> you, 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 Carry you, on, you can you can yeah, you, off you go. Yeah. I'll see you at the top anyway. So well done. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Um, and that was that was that story. Um, uh, there's one one I want to ask you about because it's again I found this good reading the reports. Uh, interest your point of view. It, from what I've read, the kind of quick step were a little bit chaotic and on on the back foot, and there was confusion and disorganisation and incoherence. Is that about right? I think that is. I mean, Lord alone knows. I can only interpret the television pictures, but. The second time, the definitive time, I think it was on Gravel Sector 3 or, or 2, I can't remember exactly when, um, the next time that Remco Evenepoel got popped off the back, basically, on, on the gravel, he was now, by now, fully isolated. Um, and it, it was pretty instant and quite definitive, but he had one teammate left in a, in a group of some 15, 20 riders up the road, and that was Jao Almeida. And so, you know, you're kind of wondering why on earth Almeida doesn't know that Evenepoel, and here's another feature. Almeida was on quite obviously in quite good form actually yesterday, and he was riding kind of top ten all the time. And Evenepoel was never top ten; he was always drifting. That he was only two or three riders off the back all the time. Mm. So Almeida probably had no idea. Yeah, he didn't have eyes on on Evenepoel. In many ways, rather than riding in front of him, he should have been riding behind him just to kind of keep an eye on him. <coughs> There's also the phenomenon in that, in that situation is that um, the cars end up being quite a long way back. So because of it getting scattered up and <clears throat> sometimes a peloton can go over a kilometre and a half of of just strung out and being ripped to pieces and different barrages where the, the commissaires aren't letting cars go by because of the gravel and the narrow roads. So unless you, you have got eyes on somebody, you're not going to get the information on the radio because the car won't be able to transmit kind of the information they're seeing on TV if they're getting pictures. Because again, sometimes it's it's just so bad the conditions they're not getting pictures. So yeah, but I mean, at the same time, you would have thought that Almeida's role at this point in the race on a day like this would have been to always have his eyes on Remco. Mm. But if Remco mm. can't is isn't uncom- is uncomfortable in those situations, there's not much you can do because sure. you're just going to be. But you for his morale, yeah, you need to have riders around if you're if you're if it's not considered sacrificing their chances for GC, which I think we can safely say for Almeida, it's not anymore, then mm. it's his job to, to sacrifice himself for, for Remco. So, yeah. And what was, uh, and what made that doubly more kind of significant, I think was, I, cause I genuinely think, I don't know whether this was planned or just kind of like developed on the road, but there were two Ineos riders who at different times were riding on Remco's wheel, Danny huh. Martinez and Gianni Moscon. And I did want it, crossed my mind to think, well, are they just watching him? Yeah. And are they on the radio saying he's got, you know, gaps are opening up now, 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 push, you know, are they, are they just relaying that information? That, I mean, it, it occurred I wouldn't to my put mind, it past like, it. I wouldn't put it past it. I don't know whether it, it was a deliberate yeah. plan, but the fact that they were there put them in a very handy position, you know. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't put it past. I mean, Ineos Grenadiers do think a bit better and they will preempt things like that happening in the knowledge that you're going to lose car radio in these sections. So we're going to need a one or two of you to be marking and just keeping an eye at the back, sort of front back of the race so that we can be getting information relayed to us about who's there, who's left and what's going on. Cause I, I mean, 
you've got to have a lot of firepower to be sacrificing the likes of Moscon and Martinez. So especially Moscon. So it's, I mean, it could go either way. It's probably me overthinking Ineos, but uh, again, I wouldn't put it past being that clever. Yeah. I mean, uh, anyway, so <laughs> I was going to make, I was going to make a comparison between um, the Koenig quick step on yesterday's race being a bit like never strays far Fale and Ineos being like the cycling podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they had eyes everywhere and they were fully in control <laughs> and they carry but, their own their own orange football <laughs> but um so then the incoherence continued so Remco was on his own Almeida hadn't dropped back Almeida eventually did kind of very very slowly drift back but he was still riding and you're thinking you probably got to just stop just now and wait yeah. for you know kind of actually be there for him eventually and then Remco was on his own and the cameras picked him out and he did that thing that I love it's very well, it's, yeah I know I love it because it, it's such a flamboyant dramatic cycling gesture he took his earpiece out <sighs> like that I'm on my own have, that, have a bit of that boom and it's, I'm it taking was like, back control yeah, although it had a whiff of I'm pulling the pin on the Giro. That's what it yeah. looked like. It's like, it's all over. That stop. It's all over. Ding. Like that. And he stuck and he took it out. Then Almeida got back to him and they had a little conversation. And then Almeida briefly started to ride for him. And then the next thing you know is Almeida's gone off again. Like Remco sent him off to go and kind of chase back onto the, the group hmm. of favourites as if to say, uh, what's the point? It's all yeah. over, you know, go and ride your uh, own, I'm on my own. That's definitely just somebody who's, just head's fallen off. His head fell off. And but then bit, yeah. bit by bit, he kind of regained a bit of composure. He put his earpiece back in and mm. then Almeida dropped back to him again. And then the two of them started to sort of dig in and just say, okay, well, listen, let's just limit the losses. And they, do you know what? In the end, they did a pretty good, jo- they did a pretty good job of it. Um, because there was all sorts of, there were all sorts of teams. It wasn't just Ineos who were riding, you know, a lot, everybody at the front wanted to Distance get rid of, <clears throat> get rid of Remco. So he had, he had, they had good support from Jumbo Visma differently at different times. They had support from, um, Vlasov's team, Astana, Movistar had a good race, EF. They all had numbers up there and they were all riding to get rid of, uh, Remco Evenepoel and Jao Almeida. The only other GC players who I'm afraid lost huge amounts of time yesterday were Davide Villela from UAE Team Emirates. Um, didn't see him all day and nor did we see Crosswinds Dan. Who I know, Crosswinds Dan seven got minutes. pummeled. I must message, message him. Do you, have you spoken to Maybe him? Maybe not, David. No, I haven't. I thought, I, I, I won't. don't know. I thought I'd You're just right. leave it. I won't do that, actually. I'll leave it. Um, <clears throat> but also, uh, what about Soler? Oh yeah. Well, he had a Soler. Do you know what? I don't think he's going to win the Giro. Oh, really? Mm. Mm. I don't think he will. Okay. Um, uh, but Soler had a day of racing that was in in microcosm form, like his career in racing. <laughs> was it like the kind of the it, back of the, it was the back of the book? It was it, yes. It was it was essence of Soler all in one all in the all in the stage of about ten kilometers actually. I'm was, tell me. Wow, Soler's look at he's looking. Moffy Star looking great. Soler's attacked. Man, that he's looking great. Oh, Soler's been caught. Oh, hang on, Soler's been dropped. And it was all like dum 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 pure, pure Soler without the histrionics. So he had a Soler kind of a day, unfortunately. But it was quite it was quite Poor cool guy. to see a lot of those guys who have never raced. I mean, half, half of the GC favorites have never raced Stradibianchi. Um, really? And yeah, 
yeah, just never done it. It's quite cool to see how well they went on the on the gravel, actually. It's also pretty nuts that if you're kind of you're you're coming with the intentions, all the work you put into the Giro d'Italia, and you didn't go, and you knew you'd known about this stage for a little while since actually only since February, isn't it? That they announced the route this year. Yeah, it's pretty, it really yeah, late. It's pretty late. Uh, maybe that's when do they why. normally announce it? Like December or something? December, don't it's they? like November, December. It's kind of the, the, December, a month yeah. after the Tour de France yeah. in October. <clears throat> but um, what's interesting is you would have kind of program changed and, and put yourself on Strada Bianchi in March to, to race it if you've never done it before. Because uh, knowing that laying ahead in the Giro is going to be... Because Bernal was there and he got like third or fourth. Third in Strada mm. Bianchi this year. Yeah. Now yeah. in hindsight, I'm like, yeah. oh... Oh, that's yep. what he was doing. He was practicing. Yeah. <laughs> he was practicing. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? And that, that's the difference, isn't it? If you're that serious about winning GC, you'd have gone to Strada Bianchi this year and, and gone all guns blazing just to test yourself. Uh, so if you're turning up here to race GC and you've never done Strada Bianchi, well, you've got no one to blame but yourself. You know? A, a little bit. I mean, there were three, there were three GC riders who... Uh, before yesterday's stage, who have amazing results at Strada Bianchi. One is Egan Bernal, and two two of the other GC riders have finished second at Strada Bianchi. Roman Bardet. Ah, yes. I think that was the year, was that not the year that Tish Benoit won in the filthy weather? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, you're right. Yeah. Bardet was second. Amazing performance. And then last year, Davide Villela, yeah, in 2020, in the August edition of the race, Davide Villela was second to Wout van Aert. Very um, good. But, but you're right. I mean, uh, almost no one else had kind of had done it before. Mm. And, um, well. and uh, I'll tell you who had a good day. Simon Yates. I was going to ask you about Simon Yates, because he's going to just chipping away, isn't he? Well, well I'll just hold him in chi- place. He, he chipped away. He took time on some, but, he, but Bernal chipped away at him again. You know, so he's being chipped and he's chipping. Yeah, he's but fifth. He's, oh, he, yeah, it's exactly. Just by bit, exactly. So by dint of being solid yesterday, mm. he's kind of moved right up. Problem, problem is he's one minute and 22 down. Yeah. Are you looking at GC? He yeah, yeah. He's 122 down on the jersey now, which is um, significant, isn't it? I mean, the gaps are 45 seconds to Vlasov now. In modern um, in modern Grand Tour racing, these are significant gaps. Quite hefty. Like at the halfway mark, aren't they? because it's quite, we're so used yeah. to like the top 10 still being within one minute of each other in Grand Tours these days. Whereas at the moment, 10th place is at three minutes 15 in Danny Martinez. So it's proper, yeah. proper bike race. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, seen what, have you yeah. seen what today looks like, by the way? It's David. really hard today, isn't it? Oh, just, I mean, nobody... Yeah, you know, this middle week is amazing because <clears throat> it, starts, it started with um, the wine stage yesterday. It features the Zonkalan right, in a couple of days, and then it ends with the Queen stage, stage 16, with, you know, oh, with, wow. with, uh, that's, the, that's the, a very the rare peaks over, yeah. it's, it's just, I think it's, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And so given how hard it is and how decisive it's going to be, everybody just kind of glossed over stage 12 when they were looking through the roadbook. This but, is the sort of now, stage that kind of terrifies the peloton. Well, the majority, because it's got that hill within, after four Ks, 5Ks, you hit an unclassified climb that's not insignificant. And then it's just up, down, up, down. Bit of flat for about 10Ks in a valley. And then really, really up and down all the way to the finish. It's, it's going to be horrendous today. It, it's savage, isn't it? 
absolutely yeah. savage. And and I think it's I think there will be lots of certainly surprised us when we looked at it and went, oh my god, there's absolutely no flat. And there's a huge amount of climbing. There are there are two peaks over a thousand meters, just rolling all the time. Um, uncategorized climbs, bit of a climb with around about uh, ten kilometers to go, and a descent into Banja di Romagna, which is just reminds me massively as a, 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 as a town of uh, both Banja de Luchon and Gap. You know, it's got that kind of vibe to it you know just little descend off a hill drop into a town that smells of sulfur <laughs> one of those one of those places where do you where do you stand on spa towns generally spa towns, i think they'd have been wonderful around 140 years ago you know when they were at their their peak in i can see you yeah i can see you enjoying that in kind of belle epoque Belle Belle Epoque. Epoque. Totally. Just cruising around in suits, going to the casino, nice restaurants, long lush lunches, going to the spa, you know, and it yeah. was all, it's when it was actually, the problem is I don't think they've really, that was literally when they peaked out is, yeah. is around 1890, 1910. And then mm. it's been a bit of a slippery slope since then for most, for most of those spa towns. And sadly, it's, it's a, it's a pretty much says it all when the, the kind of the, the calendar event of the year is when the, the big bike race comes into your spa town. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still captivated by the image of you just wandering around Banja di Romagna back in the day. With I, I would imagine that you would have, you'd probably have enjoyed a al fresco breakfast on the terrace of your of your of your in, hotel, in a kind of in, in a flanneling <clears throat> dressing gown, maybe. I think I, with, I think already for breakfast I'd have had a, like a cream linen suit. Maybe oh, a nice, really? Maybe. Yeah. Would you Panama. have? T- would it be? Would most days of your stay feature a kind of? Would there be two suit days? You'd have a morning suit and perhaps an evening suit that you'd. Well, you'd I'd go as far as saying three, Ned. Like Lord. a morning, like a walk, a little sports suit for the morning for going for like a, a nice long walk in the countryside. Oh, a hi- so c- properly perhaps, hiking sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, sort of maybe like kind of. You could go depends if you're walking sort of a town, maybe a bit linen, or going off road, going tweed. You know, mm. a little bit kind of deer stalking. At um, some point, you take lunch. You'd take the waters as lunch. Take the waters, yeah. And then yeah. maybe after lunch, would you take <clears> the waters? I'd probably go for lunch, come back from the walk, get changed into a different suit, like more of a lunchtime suit. Then, <laughs> have, then have a long lunch. Go have a nap after mm. lunch. Wake mm. up. Go take the waters. Mm. Um, mm. Maybe have another little walk. Or back in those days, you might have had one of those really simple, basic cycling machines, static, you know? You remember those Victorian yeah, ones? a turbo trainer. A turbo a trainer. A turbo trainer. A Bellapoc turbo trainer in a kind yeah. of, yeah, that would be cool. And then yeah. then it'll be back to get changed for dinner and put the um and the, the, bit of the evening, black tie. Early evening flanner behavior. Of course. Probably, <clears throat> probably take one of those little rather elegant slender canes with like a silver a silver headpiece that is in the shape of a fox. Why not? Or, or, or perhaps, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think that would, I think that would be spirit. That'd be a lovely Tuesday, gently, wouldn't it? Gently nudging aside the peacocks oh. who'd kind of gathered in the path in front of you, just with your cane, you just gently push them to one side, wouldn't you? And yeah. then regalia, and then meeting the other people on the grand tour at the bar. It's <laughs> a grand tour. That's the whole. Th- yeah, because that was the thing, wasn't it? That's the whole point. Do the yeah. grand tour. Take the culture in. And, uh, yeah yeah so that would have been yeah. that's how i'd like to imagine 
my time in Banjo de Romagna, been around 1895. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sounds enticing. It's going to be markedly different from my, my day in Banjo de Romagna, which is going to start with a trip to a sportswear shop, a sports shop, see if I can find an orange football. And then uh, we'll take it from there. But thanks, David. Just talking to you, it's, it's, um, it's rebuilt my confidence a little bit a little bit and I feel ready to tackle uh, whatever today throws at me David okay C- courage you are not an imposter well done thank Ned. you very thank you very much I'll, I'll speak to you tomorrow morning I would imagine just for a change <laughs> ciao